Coming up to Leviticus 23, we are right in the middle of our uh, series on the, um, the feasts of the Lord. And I got chewing gum in my mouth. Let me take care of that right quick. I'm sorry. I didn't get rid of that. <laughs> you don't want to hear me up here chomping. <clears throat> but we are in the middle of uh, our, our uh, series on the feast of the Lord. And we are tonight, we're going to be looking at the Day of Atonement. This is a uh, this is a really cool um, feast, or, or actually a really cool festival or uh, day that they set apart that God set apart, and and there's so much. Uh, this is one of those that's that you know we hear a lot about because because of what it is, and we, as we get into it, you'll understand why. But you know, so far we've looked at the first five that we've looked at. We've looked at the three the three spring feasts, which was Passover, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the feast of first fruits, and those three feasts were were all those three were were uh, satisfied or completed by Jesus Himself in the death, burial, and resurrection. And we you know we talked about how that um, that all, that Jesus took care of all three of those. That you know He complete you know from the Old Testament standpoint, when we look at these feasts, when we look at these things like this, there's types and shadows, and all of these, although they were rituals, they were things that, he, that God told them to set up and to do, they were still a type of what was to come. And it was a picture of, of Jesus himself in, the, in his death, burial, and resurrection in those first three in the spring feasts. Then, of course, um, 50 days after the Feast of first fruits came the Feast of Pentecost, which was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, or um, not, only, not only the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but really it was the birth of the church. And that was fulfilled, you know, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when we read about that and how the Holy Spirit was given out, the, the church was birthed. And, you know, the, the original Pentecost when, when, God gave, uh, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and, and he went up and, you know, and the, the Israel sinned and, and made that, the, the molten calf and all that, you know, when that first day, the very first Pentecost uh, of the giving of the law, 3,000 people died. Then you fast forward to the New Covenant, the giving of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people were born again. And you can see the, the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, you know, brings death. The New Covenant brings life. And, you know, and so we saw that in the, in the Feast of Pentecost. Then last week we started, we started looking at the Fall Feast. You know, the Pentecost um, happens there in, you know, like early May or June, some, somewhere in there. Then there's a, a space of time until like September, September, October, until the fall feast starts. And then the first fall feast would be what we looked at last week was the Feast of Trumpets. And we talked about how the Feast of Trumpets was, um, was really, it, it, was a, it was a festival or a feast or a day is really the Feast of Trumpets. And, and really probably they did it on two days because it was the only feast, if you remember from last week, it was the only feast that they didn't know exactly the day that it was going to happen because... It happened on the first day of the month, which came after a new moon, and the only way they could tell when, that, when, when the new moon happened was when they saw the first sliver of that moon. And so it could happen on, you know, it could happen actually on two different days, and it wasn't until they saw that, until they saw that moon, until they saw that sliver, that they had the two witnesses that would go to the high priest, and the high priest waited until he knew for sure that that it was the first day of the month, and then he declared that. And even when he declared that, sometimes it would take a whole day to get everybody 
to, to spread the news to everybody that, that, you know, that it was the first of the month, so to speak, the first, that first day, and it was the, free, the Feast of Trumpets. So, so that was why we say that the Feast of Trumpets was kind of like almost a two-day celebration, and they didn't know exactly when it was going to be celebrated until the high priest said, now's the time. And we talked about how that, that, is the, that is a picture of the rapture of the church. The Bible does say, we looked at that scripture that said, no man knows the day or the hour, uh, but, it, but it does say you'll know the season, you know, you'll know the timing of it. And, and, you know, the Bible tells us nobody knows except for God himself, and then God's, God will tell Jesus, it's time to go get them, and Jesus will go. And, you know, so we, we don't know the exact day, we don't know the exact hour, we don't know exactly when it will happen, but I do believe that, that, you know, that the rapture will happen um, somewhere around the Feast of Trumpets there. Some people, you know, I was, I was, as I was studying some more this week, about this, some people believe you have some people believe that that the rapture could actually happen on Pentecost because um, you know because of like the uh, transfiguration and different things like that happen on the Feast of Pentecost and and different things like that and some people believe that it could happen on Pentecost but you know I'm, I'm as you study the word and as as just what little limited knowledge I have is not much but but as I study this and study these feasts you know I, I believe the timing of it sets up perfect with the Feast of Trumpets. And because just because of the way everything's described and, and Jewish tradition and history and everything like that. And then the Feast of Trumpets happens on the first day of the seventh month of the, of the um, Jewish calendar. And that's the day that they consider the New Year. Um, you know, we talked about that last year as well. But then, ten, then there's a space of like eight or nine days that they call the Days of Awe. A-W-E, the Days of Awe. And what that is, is a time knowing that when you celebrate the Feast of Trumpets... You know in eight or nine days, Yom Kippur is coming. It's the most holy day of the year. It's the Day of Atonement. We talked about how that, that Jewish tradition says that, that uh, on the Feast of Trumpets, God, God opens up three books. He opens up the book of the righteous, the, the fully righteous. He opens up the book of the evil. And then he opens up the book of the in-between. <laughs> you know, and you have those that are fully righteous. You have those that have no intention of ever serving God that are fully, you know, sold out the other way. But then you have, and, and probably to be honest with you, uh, is probably the biggest book, if, the, if that is a true statement of those that are kind of teetering in between, you know, of, of, well, am I going this way or am I going that way? And I believe that's the reason Moses would stand up and say, I've given you life and death. Choose life. There's a reason Joshua would stand up and say, you know, if you want to serve the other gods on the, that your father served and that this, on the other side of the, the sea, then go ahead and serve them. But as far as me and my house, we're serving the Lord. You know, and, and it was that choice that we all have to make. And, uh, and so for those ten days between the Feast of Trumpets to, the, to Yom Kippur or, um, or, the, or the Day of Atonement, during that time, it was a time to get things right. You would, you would forgive anybody that you had ought against. You would forgive anybody you were upset with. You would forgive um, anybody that was upset with you. They would be the same thing. And then, and it was it was kind of custom to know that if if so, if, if somebody had done you wrong, and you forgave them, but they didn't forgive you, then you were clear to that. As long as you as long as your heart was clear and you you forgave them, you gave you did your part. How they responded to that that was just up to them. You did your part, you know. So so during that space of time. It was a space of time where everybody uh, in, in that part of the, you know, in the Jewish tradition, it was a time of forgiving. It was a time of deep uh, reflection. It was a time where you examined yourself 
because, because we knew, because they knew, and you'll see um, as we get into this, you'll see the importance of it, you knew the Day of Atonement was coming. And the Day of Atonement was the most holy day of the year, and still is the most holy day of the year um, in, the Jewish, in the Jewish system. And what the Day of Atonement was was a day that, that um, the best way I could put it is this, it was a day when God would, God would either accept you or He would reject you. Based on, based on where you were, based on which book you were in, so to speak. And, you know, and, and if you weren't in the fully righteous, if God didn't accept your sacrifices and your offerings for that year, then, then you carry the guilt of your sin for a whole year. The, you know, the Day of Atonement was the one day that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and bring a, uh, a sacrifice or bring an offering to God and ask him for repentance for the sins of the nation, for the sins of the people for that entire year. Now, all throughout the year, they had sin offerings, they had trespass offerings, they had all these offerings they did all throughout the year. But this was a kind of like a, uh, kind of like a, uh, it was kind of like a covering for the whole year. If, if God was pleased and he accepted the offering of the nation, then the nation would be blessed that year. But as, as you'll find out here, after, you know, when, when, if there was ever a time when God didn't accept the, the sacrifice, then that nation would be cursed that year, and bad things would happen to the nation all year long. So, so during this time, between the Feast of Trumpets and, and, the, and, and the Day of Atonement, you did everything you could do to make sure that you were right with God, that, you know, a, a deep, deep reflection and, and repentance, and, and you did everything that you knew to be right, so that, so that when, the, when the Day of Atonement came and the offering was offered to God, that He would accept it on your behalf. You have to remember, you have to remember that, that we're talking about Old Covenant, okay? We're still talking about under the law. Ricardo, you had a question? Uh, I do. I mean, I, I think that's part, I, I do think that's part of it. I'm not going to really touch on that tonight. Um, that aspect of it, but but in the book of Joel, there the seven the seven blessings. I do think that um, that that is that's still a um, you know that is still part of the part of the day of atonement. Now and and see because that brings up the question: Do we do we have to celebrate the feast today? And the answer to that is you know being being on the in the new covenant, we don't necessarily have to. Uh, um, you know, we, we don't have to obey them from, from a law standpoint like the Jewish people did because, because it's a totally new covenant. Just like what we talked about, the first three feasts, Jesus fulfilled those in the death, burial, and resurrection. Pentecost was fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, you know, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Feast of Trumpets and the, the Day of Atonement and uh, the, the, fe- the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which we'll look at next week, those feasts are still yet to be fully completed fully fulfilled, and, but they will be fulfilled, you know, at the, what I believe, it, at the rapture, at the, at the tribulation period, and then at the millennial reign. And so, so you know, so as far as, as, far as having to, um, you know, having to keep the, the letter of the law on those feasts, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily have to do that because they've been fulfilled. You know, Jesus, Jesus is now our Passover. He's, he's our, our unleavened bread offering. You know, he is our first fruits. You know, and, and so, 
Um, you know, but they are, they are very good. I mean, there's still very, there's still a lot of information in there. There's a lot of things that we can pull from those that we can, that we can walk out. You remember how we talked about when we first started this, how there's different layers to scripture. And regardless of whether, regardless of whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, um, you know, what it is, we can still pull things that we can learn from. And we can pull things that we can that we can glean from and and walk out, you know, in, in our daily lives. So let's look at the scriptures here in Leviticus 23 as we talk about the Day of Atonement. And uh, we'll just start reading in let's see, uh, verse number 27, verse 26. It says, "And the Lord, this is Leviticus 23, verse 26, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying." Also, on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall, uh, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. You shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For, what, uh, for whatsoever soul it be that there... That shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whosoever shall be that doth any work in that same day, the same, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the, in the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening unto evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So that was the that was the instructions for the Day of Atonement. So what you remember, the days went from six p.m. or went from uh, darkness starting in the evening. That was the start of the day until sundown the next day, sundown to sundown. So here he said on the ninth day of the month, you know, at the evening time, it would start. The, of course, when the sun went down, it would start the tenth day. And it was, a, it was a Sabbath to them. It was a day of atonement. Now, I'm going to explain to you what would happen on that day and, and, and you know, and from Jewish tradition, Jewish history, and um, the whole process of the day of atonement. And, man, it's very interesting. I mean, there's so much in here. This is another one of those that you could spend, um, you know, you could spend, I mean, weeks and weeks talking about this because there's so much in here. But, but here's what would happen. On the day of atonement, Actually, we'll have to back up to the feast or to the feast of trumpets. On the feast of trumpets, when the feast of trumpets happened, from those eight or nine days that we talked about, did you see, did you hear how many times that God said that you know to afflict your soul, to afflict your soul? You know, this is the time to afflict your soul. What was He talking about? He was talking about a day of repentance. He was talking about a day when you when you really seek the Lord and you and you just really you know you're really seeking the Lord with all your heart. To ask for repentance, to ask for you know for God to forgive you of, of of anything that you have done wrong, the high priest. Now, like we said, on the day of atonement was the one day a year that the high priest could go into the holy of holies. There had to be a preparation time for him. So after the feast of trumpets, the high priest would go into the chambers, go into his chambers, and he would not come back out for those ten days. He would not come back out of his chambers until the Day of Atonement when, when the high priest, that one day a year, that he would go into the, into the Holy of Holies and be in the presence of God. And, and it, because it was so holy, 
because you know nobody could go into the into the now they could the priest could go into the holy place, but the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was, nobody could go there except for the high priest once a year. So so he there was a a very specific in in like Leviticus nineteen I think. Eight, or eighteen, nineteen. He talks about the whole ritual about him cleansing himself and all of this. So, so the high priest would hide himself for those eight days while he was preparing. When that day came, here was what would happen: the high. This was the day every other day of the year, and every other day the, when the priest would do his work and the sacrifices would come and the and the the offerings would be made and everything. All of the different priests were involved in that. You know, we talked about how. Uh, I'm just so glad that I wasn't a priest in those days because, man, I mean, the priest's job was really nothing but slaughtering animals. I mean, you know, and taking the blood and and offering sacrifices and and dressing animals. And, man, I mean, you know, I mean, just it's incredible what they did, the sacrifices they did. But on on the Day of Atonement, the high priest did all of the work. Nobody else did it because it was a day where everybody else came like kind of they kind of came outside of the temple, outside of the area there, and the high priest himself had to go in and do all these sacrifices. I think there was like 15 different animals that he would kill that day, and, and it wasn't just a matter of killing them. When he, when he you know, when, when a priest would offer the sacrifice, and I know it sounds, for us it sounds horrible just killing animals for sacrifices, but, but that was the system God set up. He said without the remit, without the uh, Shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, you know, and that was the old covenant. Thank God that Jesus shed his blood once and for all, and, and it took care of all that, you know. But, but the high priest would come in, and he would, he would, he would come into the, on that day on, the day, on the Day of Atonement, he would come in, and there would be, the Bible tells us there, were, there would be three uh, specific things that he would do that, uh, to, as, as he, three specific um, sacrifices that he would do to begin with and then there were some other ones along the way too but the bible says that there would first be a bull uh he would take a bull and sacrifice that bull and what that one was for that the sacrifice of the bull was was this was the repentance of himself he would go before god with the blood of the bull he would enter into the holy place first with the with the blood of the bull and it would be for him then he would have the sacrifice and i'm going to back up and we'll talk about these but i'm just giving you the process then he would take the two goats, and one of them would be a scapegoat. One of them would be a, um, you know, would be the sacrifice for the for the for the Lord, and he would sacrifice that, and it, that would be the sacrifice um, for the that would be the sacrifice for the nation, and for the for the sins of the nation. <clears throat> and then there would be a ram that he would sacrifice, and that would be the sacrifice for the for the Levites or the priesthood. So there was three different three different feet or three different. Uh, sacrifices that he would offer. So he would first go in, when he would come in, he would cleanse himself, he would sacrifice the bull first, and, and do the, he would dress the bull and, and, you know, cut all the different parts of the meat out and sacrifice, and do, burn some of it and do this with some of it and had different things he had to do with the different parts of it. But then he would take the, the blood and he would go into, well, first he had, the, the very first time he went into the, uh, into the Holy of Holies, he had to take incense. He had to take some coal from the from the altar of incense, and and he would take it in, and he would put incense in a in a golden uh, censer that he carried, and he would take that, and he would put that in the holy in the holy of holies where the presence of God was, because God said that nobody, even the high priest, that one day a year when he went in and did this, he couldn't look right at the presence of God. 
He could not, he could not just sit there and stare at the Ark of the Covenant because that was how holy the presence of God is and was to them. So he would go in and put the, put the censer of, of incense in there, and what that would do, that would fill the room with smoke to where he couldn't see, he couldn't look directly at the Ark of the Covenant. He would come out and he would take the blood of the bull and the blood of the, of the lamb, he would, they would actually be mixed together, and he would go in and he would drip one, he would go back into the Holy of Holies, he would take his finger and dip it one time and dip it onto the mercy seat, you know, splash blood on the mercy seat, which was the covering on the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And it was where the two, the two cherubim looked down. If you remember the Ark of the Covenant, it was like a box and it had the mercy seat on it. And it had two cherubim that had their wings covered and, and their faces looked down on the, you know, on the top of the Ark. And what that blood represented that first time, he would take it and he would dip it on there. And that was the blood that, that God would look at. So to cover the sins to cover the you know to where the to where when God when God looked down what he saw was the blood offering the blood sacrifice then he would take his finger and dip seven times and put it on the put it on the the around the edge of the 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 ark there on the on the floor and then he would back out at no time did he ever turn his back to God it was always he would walk in face forward and he, they knew exactly how many steps actually during that seven days or eight days of purification, when the priest would go into his chambers, he would have like three or four other priests with him, and they would go over detail over detail after detail about how many steps it was, where everything was located. I mean, he had to know that to the T. Because you remember, the priest's garments had the bells on it, and the reason it had the bells on it was because at any time, if it ever, it, if it ever got to where they didn't hear the bells ringing, they knew that the priest was probably dead. <laughs> and they had a rope tied around his uh, leg, and they could pull him out of the Holy of Holies because who's going to go in and get him, right? Because no, nobody else had been, had been purified for that week. And, you know, so nobody else was ready to go get him. So, so they had a system set up to where they knew if, if there was a long period of time when that priest, when they didn't hear those bells ringing, they, they knew they started pulling on that rope and pulling him out of there. Now I don't know. I don't know that it ever. We don't have record of any high priest ever dying in the holy of holies, um, you know, because um, it's interesting. From the time, from the very beginning, when God instituted this, all the way up to Jesus' day, um, you know, we see we see the high priest doing this ritual and God accepting. Almost, I mean, I think maybe there was one or two times where where uh, God didn't accept their offering because of the sins of the people, because people didn't repent. But, but pretty much throughout the Bible, we see, throughout the Old Testament, we see God accepting that sacrifice because, because, because the priest did it the way God told him to do it. So, so, he would, so the high priest would go in and, you know, he would offer that blood, then he would come out. He, then the, second, the third time he went in, the first time was the incense, the second time was the blood for the, for the people, or for himself and the people, I should say. And then the third time he would come out and he got the, the blood of the ram and he did the same thing with it. He went in and sprinkled it on the altar, sp sprinkled it on the, the mercy seat and on the floor, and then he backed out. And then, uh, and then when he come out, when he come out that last time, uh, he, you know, it was, it, the, the day was completed. But now let's back up and talk about, talk about the scapegoats and, because this is, this is where this gets real interesting in the Day of Atonement. Because, you know, at first he goes in and he, and he slaughters the bull 
and he and he uses that blood to uh, to to anoint the altar in different places as well. But he but he would he catch all the blood in that basin. But then after he did that, he would come out and there would be two. He would come out to the people and there would be two goats. Some people say that that they were twins, you know, because they had to be identical. Um, and and there may just there may have just been two goats of you know the same size or whatever. We don't know for sure. But he would get those two goats and he would bring them in into the into the holy place there. And they had a box that had uh, these two stones in it. The Bible just says that they cast lots for which which goat would be dedicated to the Lord and which one would be dedicated to. They called it uh, Azazel or Azazel or something like that. And and basically that would be the one that they would put the sins of the people on and that they would discard. So he, the high priest, now this, this is, I mean, you know, this, gets, this is where one of those things where it just gets so amazing and so, so awesome. He would reach his hand in this box, and he would put his right hand in first, and of course they would be, you know, I mean, it, he could have picked either one, either one of the stones, but the, the two stones, one of them said, for the Lord, and the other said, for Azazel. And, and, and almost always when he put his hand in, when he put his right hand in, he would pull out the one the, as the lot was cast, and he would say, for the Lord. If, if, if he ever pulled out for the Lord with his left hand, that was the year that God would not accept their sacrifices. And it always had to be in the right hand. And, you know, so if, if, it, if he ever pulled his right hand out and it said, for Azalel, and, and his left hand said, for the Lord, he knew that the nation was in trouble that year. So almost every year from, from the beginning all the way up until, until when Jesus was, came on the scene, you know, it would always pick up the one that said, for the Lord. And, and I'll just throw this note out there. From, from 30 A.D., from the time Jesus was crucified, until 70 A.D., which was 40 years, in the year 70 A.D. is when, is when uh, Jerusalem got overthrown, the temple got destroyed, and, and uh, there hasn't been any sacrifices in the temple since 70 A.D. because the temple was, was destroyed. Um, and, you know, one of the big things like um, Joseph Morris and some others are talking about is that there will come a time when the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and there will be sacrifices offered just like what we're talking about. And, you know, and that'll be, that'll be during the time of the Antichrist. When, when the Antichrist comes, he will offer sacrifices in the, in the temple that's rebuilt. And, you know, uh, and, you know, that's a whole different story to get into. But, but so, so, uh, so going back to the scapegoats, he would take, he would take the two stones and the one on the right hand would say, for the Lord. He would take that goat and he would tie a ribbon around its neck. Then for the one that said, for Azalel, he would take that note or take that goat and tie a red ribbon around his horn. And then he would, and they also had a third string or a third ribbon, and all of these were white ribbons, but they were dyed red, and um, you know with the color red. So he would take those and and he would tie the one goat that for Az- Azalel, he would tie it on the altar. He would take this, he would take the goat that was dedicated for the Lord. He would take it into the temp or into the holy place, offer it as a sacrifice, get his blood. Go into the whole, that's when he would go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood of the goat that was for the Lord, the, the sheep that was for the Lord. Then he would come back out and he would take, then he would take the goat that was, that was said for Azalel and he would lay hands on that goat and he would, he would, they had a certain thing that they would say, but basically what he was doing, he was transferring the sin of the nation onto that goat. 
And that's why it's called, it's called the scapegoat. <clears throat> and he would lay hands on that scapegoat and he would, he would transfer the sins of the nation onto that goat. Then he would take that goat, he would, it would be tied up, he would take that goat and he would, he would hand it off to a priest. And then the priest would take it into the wilderness and he would take, he would take it as far away from the camp as he could. Now, in the, in the very beginning, the way this happened was they would just take it out and try to get the, the, the little goat, uh, you know, lost or whatever. But then the problem they started having was sometimes that goat would find its way back into the camp. And they, and they had to make sure that that goat didn't get back in the camp. Why? Because that goat represented the sin. So they were like, we can't let the sin of the people get back into the, into the city. So what they started doing was this. They actually started taking that goat, and they actually had a mountain named after it. It was Mount Azazel. They would take it up to this very high pinnacle and push the goat off a cliff and kill the goat so that there was no way that that goat could come back into the city. But now here's the amazing part about this. The, the string that was tied around that goat's, that goat's horn, it was, you know, and the reason they did that was so that if that goat ever came back, they would know that it was the, the scapegoat. And they would know that they didn't want anything to do with it. But the moment, now this is, a, this is one of those supernatural things that happened. It's the only way you can describe this. The moment that goat was pushed off that cliff and the moment that goat died, that the, the, the ribbon or the, the other two ribbons, the one was tied around the, the goat that was offered for the Lord, but they would take that third one. There was three different ones. They would put one on the, one on the goat that was for the Lord, one on the goat, the scapegoat, but then the priest would take the third one and he would put it on the door of the temple. And he would hang it on the door of the temple and the people could see that. And when everybody was gathered outside of the gathering place, the temple or the tent, in Moses' day and the, and the temple on up into Solomon's day, when people were gathered outside, they could look on the door or look on the, on the tent door or on the tabernacle door and they could see that red thread hanging there. The moment that that other goat died, just supernaturally, that, that, that string of that rope or, or ribbon or whatever it was, it would change from red to white. And as soon as it changed, the people would celebrate because they knew that their offerings had been accepted. And the Scripture... Now listen to this. Let me, let me read you a couple things about that. Um, the Scripture for that is actually in Isaiah, Isaiah 1.18. And you all know this Scripture. When I read it, you'll know it. But Isaiah prophesied, and, and he said this. He said, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they are red like Clemson, they shall be as wool. And see what that was a picture of when that, when that, that uh, scarlet thread would turn white, they knew that their sins were forgiven for that year. They knew that their sins were covered for the year. But now listen to this. This is interesting because, because like I said, this, all of this happened all the way from Moses' days, from the days that God gave Moses all the way up. When Jesus, was, when Jesus came on the scene, they were still doing these these. Uh, offerings and these sacrifices and these feasts. They were still holding these. When, and like I said, they, and, and, the, and in Jerusalem, at the temple, they still did sacrifices all the way up until 70 A.D. when, uh, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple. So for 40 years after Jesus was crucified, they still offered the sacrifices just like they always had, even though you know, the, whole, the whole process 
when Jesus came, and you know, that, that's the thing that sometimes I think we overlook with like what Paul and what the apostles were facing, was that this system had been in place for, you know, thousands of years. And, and now all of a sudden when Jesus came, he was telling them, I, you know, there's no more sacrifices. You don't have to do this anymore. I'm the sacrifice. I'm the one that, you know, my, the shedding of my blood has covered all this. But the people, the, the religious people still held to these rituals. But now check this out. This comes from the writings of, this was come out of the, one of the, the Talmuds, which was a Jewish, uh, the Talmuds is like Jewish history books. And, but it talks, but they, but they go all the way back to Jesus' day. I mean, they go back and that's where a lot of historians, that's how, that's how the Bible is, is, is really, can be verified so much is through a lot of these religious, um, you know, writings and things like this. But listen to one of these writings in one of the Talmuds that says this. He says, 40 years before the temple was destroyed, which would be 30 A.D., the chosen lot, talking about when the priest would put his hand in and he would put, you know, the, the lot was cast for the, for, the, uh, for the goat and it would be the right hand or the left hand. He said for 40 years, from 30 A.D. all the way up to 70 A.D., he says the chosen lot was not picked with the right hand. So when Jesus was crucified, from that year forward, every year the high priest would put his hand in, when, when he would pull out his right hand, it would always be for Azalel and not for the Lord. And then it said this. It says, nor did the crimson stripe ever turn white. After Jesus died on the cross, that crimson, that crimson stripe that was nailed on the temple door never turned white again. And it says, nor did the westernmost light burn and the doors of the temple's holy place swung open by themselves. So in other words, during, during this time when this was happening, when, when, the, when they were offering the sacrifices and stuff, the doors just would mysteriously just open. The, the, uh, the priest could never, he could never pick the, you know, the blessing of the Lord as he cast lots for the scapegoat. He would always pick the wrong one. And the crimson, the crimson strip that was nailed on the door never turned white again after Jesus' resurrection. And you might say, well, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, that just shows you, that, that was, you know, supernaturally, that shows you that what Jesus did satisfied that. And that, that God did not accept those offerings anymore. Why? Because God had accepted Jesus' offering once and for all. And none of those sacrifices and none of those, none of those things ever, would ever have to be done again because God accepted the offering of Jesus. For the, sacri- or for, the, for the punishment of our sin, for the forgiveness of our sin. And um, so that's, that's just an interesting thing here where he said that, he said that uh, you know, that written in history, that those things happen, things that had happened for, for, for hundreds if not thousands of years, a- after Jesus was crucified, it totally changed. Now, turn with me to Hebrews. Let me show you a couple scriptures in Hebrews about this, and then we'll... We'll look at a couple more things here and kind of tie this together. In Hebrews chapter, uh, let me see what scripture this is. Hebrews chapter 9. Because you remember, we, we, we've talked about through all of this that, that Jesus, or that all of this was uh, types and shadows. That this was, you know, this was... Uh, um, you know, a picture of what was to come. Listen to what Paul says here in, in Hebrews as he writes about Jesus being the eternal sacrifice. 
Um, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 11, he says this, But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or not of this world. Neither Now listen to what it says. Neither by the blood of bulls or, or goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, shall he purge your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. And then in chapter 10, it goes on, and uh, in chapter 10, it goes on to say, uh, look at verse... Chapter 10, and we'll just skip down to verse number 11. He says this, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So he said, you know, every day the priests stand in the temple, and they, they offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and many times it's the same people bringing the same sacrifices. He says, but that, he says, that cannot... He says, that cannot take away sins. And then he says in verse 12, notice what he says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. So in other words, what he said was this, The, the priest of your day, Paul was telling the priest of, 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 you know, in this day, he said they, he said they stand every day, all day long, ministering, offering sacrifices, killing animals and, and offering sacrifices. And, he, and basically what he was saying was this, and it's to no avail because you have to do the same thing tomorrow. Well, because it was, it was a, because their sin, their sin wasn't covered in the Old Testament. God, see, the judgment of God, the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. And so the penalty of sin is death. And, and the Scripture also says that without the, remission, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So sin, so to be justified in God's eyes, to be, to be satisfied, to have a, to have a relationship to where, to where God's not, you know, not, to where you don't have to pay for your sin, there had to be a blood offering, a blood sacrifice. So, the pre, so every day, every year, it had to be done over and over and over again until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, it was an offering once and for all time. And what God said was this. God said, this is the perfect offering, and never again will another offering have to be made because this one takes care of sin from now through eternity. So then, they got it. So then, so then that's, that's when, from, from after Jesus was crucified, you know, that's when Paul came on the scene. That's when the apostles started preaching this. And the whole new covenant started. And, and they preached that now, you know, now what Hebrews is talking about here now, now you don't have to offer bulls and goats because Jesus is your sacrifice. And, you know, so, so I mean, that is an incredible, incredible thing. And, you know, so, so, so the, the whole, uh, you know, the whole thing about the, about the Day of Atonement was this. For them, for, for the, for in the Old Testament... 
And, and the picture of this is that they're just waiting, they're looking, they're, they're just hoping that God will accept their sacrifice. You know, and they're, they're standing outside just waiting. Like for that day, the Day of Atonement, God told them, he said, he said, it's a day that nobody eats. Nobody eats or drinks anything that day until the sacrifice is offered. So what they do, everybody comes to the temple and everybody's standing outside the temple looking at that red thread. Just waiting for that red thread to turn white so that they can know. And, 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 and don't you know that when that thread turned white, don't you know there's a celebration? <laughs> you know, people's like, yes! You know, God's accepted us once, once again. And, you know, so, so then, then after that thread turned white, they knew that their sins had been forgiven and that God had covered them once again for this year so then they could go and, and start, their, you know, start their new year. Now, also, the interesting thing about the Day of Atonement was this, and I really don't even have time to get into this, but the Day of Atonement was the start of uh, the year of Jubilee. Like, when, when God would offer, when God would accept, when He accepted that sacrifice, when He accepted that offering, and that, that, uh, that, the red thread turned white, from that moment, that started Jubilee. Now, what Jubilee was, just a real brief thing of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee was a year when you forgave, uh, you forgave all your debtors, you forgave all, all, everybody that had done anything against you. You forgive them. It was almost like you started over new every single year. And then actually on the 50th year, on the 50th year uh, of Jubilee, that was the year that all the slaves were freed. Every debt you had was wiped away. And, and everything, everything literally started. It was like it started all over. Anything you had lost was given back to you. And it was like you started over, you know, from, from everything, every, any bad thing that happened to you, you know, it got restored to you. <laughs> well, but now listen to this. Actually, the Bible tells us this, that Jesus is our jubilee. So see, it never does end. And it doesn't have to end because now everything, our jubilee is in Jesus. And whatever's taken, whatever, whatever we've lost, whatever, you know, whatever's been, been thrown against us or t- toward us or whatever, Jesus is our jubilee and he restores that. So, so that was the picture that was, being, that was being restored. Now, where does that fit in? Where does that fit into the whole scope of where we are today? Let me talk about this just for a moment. <clears throat> we talked last week about how that the Feast of Trumpets was a picture, or, or I believe it's a picture, of of when the rap, or when the rapture of the church will happen, because the the feast of trumpets was a calling, was an awakening, was a um, you know it was a day where the trumpets were blown and it was it was like telling people hey judgment's coming and those that are ready will be you know you won't have to go through judgment but if you aren't ready you will have to, so the feast of trumpets was a was the perfect picture of the rapture of the church. So what would the Day of Atonement be? The Day of Atonement, remember, the Day of Atonement was a day when the judgment of God would be decided. Now, um, you know, there's, there's different camps that believe different about the rapture. You know, some, some are pre-trib. I'm, I'm pre-trib. I believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. You have some people that believe in mid-trib, which means that they believe that you'll go three and a half years through the tribulation, through the first half of the tribulation, and then the church will be caught up. Then you even have some that believe, uh, believe in post-trib, and then you even have some that don't even believe in a rapture. 
that just believe that, you know, that we'll just live and that we're just going to be here on the earth and whoever survives goes in the millennium and whoever don't just will be in heaven anyway. Um, I personally believe, I personally believe in the pre-trib. And here's, here's where, here's where I think this fits in. Because, because in the book of Daniel, if you study the book of Daniel, he, he has this prophecy of the 70 weeks. The seven times, seven times, uh, the seven times seven and the, the different weeks, the, you know, it basically ends up to be 70 weeks. Um, throughout history, we have accounted of those 69 weeks. So there's a week in Daniel's prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. And what that week in Daniel's prophecy is, is this, that, there will, there, that God, still owes, God still owes the Jewish people seven years of tribulation. And he, he owes them he owes them that week based on those based on those prophecies and, and everything that's come out up to this time that he owes seven years of tribulation. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he accepted that that was the penalty for for sin and for judgment for everybody that'll believe on him. If you if you believe in Jesus Christ and you are a true believer, then the the wrath and the judgment of God has been satisfied on your behalf. You know, God will never pour His judgment out on you because He poured it out on Jesus. So, so to say that we have to go through the tribulation, which is a time of judgment, would be to say that God is going to judge you again for something He already judged Jesus for. Now, in the tribulation, if you, if you study tribulation, we went through the whole book of Revelation a few years ago. If you remember, there are seven, there's seven trumpets that will be blown. Well, actually, first, I'm sorry, there's seven seals that will be opened. There's, there's that, that scroll that there will be seven seals open, and every seal reveals, you know, every time a seal is broken, basically it's kind of like a tab or something, you know, they turn the page, and every time they turn the page, you know, something else is revealed that will happen. You know, like a third, of the, a third of the trees will be destroyed, a third of the ocean will be destroyed, you know, and I mean, and all these different things will happen. Then after the seven seals are revealed, then you have the seven trumpets, and then after the seven trumpets, you have the seven vials that will be poured out. So there's like different stages to the tribulation. But, but for the Christian, as long as you are, my belief is, as long as you, are, uh, as long as you have a relationship with God and you're, you're you know, uh, looking for His return, in other words, your, your connection is good with Him, if your connection is, if, if you have that connection with God, when He comes to get His church, I believe we'll be out of here. And during that time when we get raptured, I believe that'll be when, that'll be the whole marriage supper of the Lamb when we're in heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb, the, um, you know, the, the, uh, and you know, the different judgments that'll happen, the great white throne judgment, will, all of that happens actually after, after the, the tribulation. But but you know but but the Christians will be in heaven and then the then God can judge the the ones that don't believe and that judgment will be poured out on the earth and then after that seven years of tribulation then we will come back with Jesus the Bible says and then we and then there'll be a the battle of Armageddon and where Jesus or where the where the enemy is is cast into the into the pit for for a thousand years and that'll set up the thousand year reign. Which next week, when we look at the, the the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles, that is a picture of that is a picture of the thousand year the millennial year reign when when God comes down to tabernacle with His people, and you know and, and so we'll we'll get into that next week, 
but but for the but for the uh, day of atonement, it is a day of judgment. It's a day, the day of atonement, and like we said, it is the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. It still is today. It is the holiest day of the year for them. Why? Because it's a day that, they, and they still take it very serious. It's a day when when they know that God will judge who is righteous and who's not righteous. And they've done, they do everything they can do to make sure that they're righteous so that God will accept. You know, in their eyes, they're still trying to see, make sure God accepts their sacrifice. For us, Jesus is our atonement. Jesus has already paid that price. So, so our part of redemption is complete. You know, but the part of atonement that is not complete is the judgment that he has for those that don't believe. You know, and that'll be the part that'll be, that'll be fulfilled during the during the seven year tribulation. Amen? Well see the the Bible if you study Revelations it talks about forty two months and forty two months. And and the first forty two months of the tribulation period, there'll be a lot of natural disasters, there'll be a lot of um There'll be a lot of bad things that'll happen, but there'll be but there will be peace as far as nation against nation, and and after the th- and there'll be a peace treaty signed, you know, and for that three and a half years there won't be wars, there won't be uh, you know there won't be anything like that. It'll be the three and a half years of peace. Now the the seals will start being opened, and so so natural disasters are going to start happening, and and you you don't want to be here during even that first three and a half years. <laughs> you know, but after three and a half years, that's when the Antichrist. See, because even even the first part of that three and a half years, the Antichrist is not really going to reveal himself to where everybody looks at him and say, "Oh, that's the Antichrist." He's just going to be somebody that they look at. Man, this guy's sharp. This guy's you know, man, he's brought peace. He you know, and and you know, and and you know, this this is a good guy here. And and then, but after that three and a half years, that's when he breaks that and he says, "You know what?" He says, now everybody's going to worship me. He's going to unveil a statue to himself. He's going to make everybody bow down and worship him for the last three and a half years. And anybody that doesn't, he kills. Yeah, but we'll be, we'll be, I believe we'll be gone before, even before the first three and a half years. I mean, yes. Yeah, so that peace treaty, I believe that peace treaty won't be signed until after the church is raptured, the one that we're talking about. Because there'll be three and a half years of peace and then, then the peace treaty is going to be broken, and it'll be three and a half years of evil. I mean, just of chaos. You know, and that, that's the seven-year tribulation. <clears throat> well, and now listen, I, I don't know if you all saw this. Uh, what was it? What is it? Wednesday? Monday, uh, did you see where the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church signed uh, or, or, or entered into an agreement with uh, Islam? to try to bring peace between Islam and the Catholic Church to where they can worship together, that, that, is, a, that is a clear... I mean, that, if, I mean, I heard that and I was just like, bells went off like crazy because I'm like, you know, because you, how, can you, how can you have somebody that believes that Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God versus somebody that believes that Jesus wasn't and then try to say we can come worship together? You know, you can't do that. But but people will be deceived. People will be you know people will, people will fall into that trap, and and that that it, it's I mean the, the we're very close to seeing those things happen, which means that we're closer to the end closer to the rapture of the church than we've ever been, 
you know. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're, we are the end times, yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? I mean, I don't know, if, you know, like I said, I just, I just touched the surface on this. I, and I probably maybe confused you more than I helped you, but, but uh, you, can do, you can really do some digging in this. And th- there is some incredible uh, truths that you can dig into. And, and, you know, the Day of Atonement, the, the feast and everything, I mean, it's an incredible study. If, if you're really wanting something to study and dig, dig deep into, it's an incredible thing to study because you'll, you'll, be, you'll be amazed at the, at the types and shadows and some of the things that, that you'll see here. Yeah. Okay, we read the scripture. We read the scripture there where it said the ashes of a heifer, you know, cannot cleanse. One of the one of the, one of the rituals, one of the Jewish traditions, uh, when the high priest when the high priest would go and, and for that eight day period between the feast of trumpets and the day of atonement, when he would when he would uh, uh, purify himself, one of the things they did was they took a red heifer and they burned it. They sacrificed it, and they burned that red heifer, and they took the ashes of that red heifer, and the high priest would cleanse himself with the ashes. He would pour the ashes over himself, and that would be part of his purification. And so, so there, you know, and, and like, like what, what the big deal is, is that there hadn't been any red heifers born in Israel since, like, since this time. But just last year, the first red heifer was born in Israel that had been born in hundreds of years. So, well, see, that's that's what I'm saying. So, so those, so so the red heifer would be part of that sacrifice. What I said, like when when they build the temple again, the the Babylonian temple, uh, you know, when it gets rebuilt, the the temple again to where they offer sacrifices. One of the sacrifices, one of the first sacrifices, will be a red heifer, and it has to be, uh, you know, from that area. It's not like they fly one in to sacrifice. It, it's like you know, from, you know, they're, they're, in other words, it had to be kind of like a homegrown type thing. And just last year, that first red heifer was born that had been born in Israel in hundreds of years. So that's just another clear sign saying, look, it's, it's getting close. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it is. They use that, the sacrifice of that red heifer, they use the ashes of that to purify the high priest so he can go in and do the Holy of Holy duties. And and that's you know and that's the significance of that red heifer, and so, yep. And there's a lot more there again. There's a lot more to that, but that's the the main thing behind that. <clears throat> Good. Anybody else? Good. All right. Well, let me pray for you and uh, pray that I, you get unconfused after all this, right? So, <laughs> all right. Well, Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. I, I thank you for Scripture. I thank you. That Lord, that you put so much in here to where we can learn. And Father, I know sometimes we look at this and we get confused, and we uh, we may not understand everything that's happening. But but Lord, I'm so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to help us and to reveal to us everything that needs to be revealed. And as we study and as we dig deep into this, Father, I believe that uh, I don't believe you want us to be. Uh, to have confusion at all, Lord. I believe you want us to have clarity in this, and I know the Holy Spirit will help each one of us 
bring clarity to these things in our hearts and in our minds. And so I thank you for that. I pray blessings on each one. Uh, we thank you, Father, that as we go our way the rest of this week, I thank you for putting people across our path that we can bless and that we can minister to, that we can be a, a light to a dark world, Father. I thank you for that. I pray blessings and safety on each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.